Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Today, we're going to start a new series, and the series is uh, Modern Family. Uh, we spent just two weeks talking about dreamers and how God used dreamers. And if you missed it, I highly, highly recommend getting that podcast because that podcast really, really unpacks some stuff about dreamers. And say again, go to go to our website, which is wearemosaicchurch.org. And then if you go to uh, media, there'll be sermons. Click right on the sermons, and you can literally listen to every sermon we've preached just about since we've launched. So uh, we are mosaicchurch.org, media, sermons, and all you need is there. If you need the notes, we're working on trying to put the notes on the website as well. So if you didn't get the notes, we're trying to put those on there as well so you can follow along. But The Dreamer was a really good series. I want to talk to you all about Modern Family. That clip we just saw was from that TV show, Modern Family. How many of you watched that show? Oh, my goodness. Isn't it not hilarious? Now, I know a lot of men probably started watching it the same way I did because of uh, Sophia, in case that, that was the woman that was just on there. I was not interested in it. I didn't think it was going to be a great show. I was like, I'm not interested in it, whatever. But then I saw this beautiful uh, Latina woman on there, and I've always been a fan of her work, and so I watched it and found out that it was a really incredibly funny show, and there's a lot of stuff that we can use from that show to talk about life, family, and stuff like that. So over these next several weeks, we're going to talk about the modern family, what it looks like now, what it looked like before, and in there, I'm just letting y'all know, if y'all have children, this is going to be kind of pg 13. This is for mature audiences because throughout this series, we're going to tackle subjects such as being single. We're going to tackle subjects like marriage. We're going to tackle subjects like parenting. We're going to tackle subjects like sex. Absolutely. We're going to talk about all of these things. And so we're going to be candid. We're going to be transparent. My wife and I are going to even tag team at some point. That should be very interesting. I, I, like I want to skip a couple weeks to do that now, but uh, we'll wait. But she's, she and I are going to tag team. It's going to be fun. You want to invite all your friends. You want to invite single people, married people, uh, all, all your friends, families. Get them here because this message is going to resonate with everyone. Let us pray. Eternal and gracious God in heaven, I stand here cognizant of the fact that the flowers fade. And uh, God, we understand that your word remains the same. God, I stand here as your son prepared to share your message about the modern family, what your word would have to say about it, what the Bible says about it. And I pray, O oh God, today we unpack it in such a way that we get a totally different understanding of our lives thus far 
and how we can predict and how we can live our lives in the future. God bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. When we think of family, family has had so many different definitions. You know, if we, if we look at family, it has changed throughout the years. I mean, 35 years ago, the family looked like one thing, right? And, 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 and then 50 years ago, the family looked like another thing. And in your world, depending on where you were at, if you were in New York, I mean, wherever you are, your culture, family looks different to all of us, right? There's the traditional family, mom, dad, children. There's the, and, I, and I, let me put quotes on that, the, <laughs> the quote-unquote traditional family, mom, dad, kids, rover, you know, goldfish, the whole nine, right? Traditional. There's the blended family. Mom was divorced. She has some kids. Dad's divorced. He got some kids. We bring them all together. Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch was our first known blended family. There's the blended family. There's a single parent family. We can go on and on. There's the, there's the same-sex family. There's the adopted family. There's the extended family. There's just so many definitions and, and, and categories of family. And I want to talk about all of these over the next several weeks. But what I want to talk about today is specific. I want to talk about how you grew up in your family lifestyle. Here's what I want to present to you. How we grew up in our families often dictates how we work with others in relationship. In other words, if my daddy didn't hug me a lot, it's very uncomfortable for me to say I loved you because I didn't hear it in my house. Or if mom was uncomfortable with physical affection and, and public displays of affection, it will be very difficult for me even as a parent to give that same kind of affection to my child because I didn't receive it. And it even translates and transfers over if into our marriage life. Once you become married, some of the stuff you grew up with transfers into your marriage life. So we're going to talk about that today. And what I'm going to do is give you three qualities uh, in winning this thing we call the relationship game. Many of you are familiar with chess, right? So in chess, they say to win a chess game, you have to anticipate your opponent's not the next move, not the move after that, but to win a game of chess, you have to anticipate your opponent's third move. You have to be that far ahead of them in their thinking in order to win the game of chess. Many times in relationships, it's the same way. Because we don't want to offend people, we have to think three steps ahead of them. For instance, if I have a conversation with my wife about something, I have to begin to think, will this offend my wife? How is she going to take this? Will she bring this back up later if I don't present it to her right? I have to think about what will happen three steps later. And that's how it is even with managing relationships. It's like a game of chess. You're thinking three steps down the line on how to manage that relationship. And so what I want to offer you Today are three qualities in winning the relationship game. If you are taking notes with me today, the first thing I want to present to you, the three qualities to win the relationship game, is there must be honor. There must be honor. There must be honor. And it's Original definition, honor simply means honesty, integrity, high respect as for worth or merit, or high public 
esteem. There must be honor. Paul tells us in Romans 12 and 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. How many of us can take a real inventory of our relationships, uh, no matter how close they are, mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, and really say that we take great delight in honoring that person? Take great delight in honoring them. Let's just say even your neighbor. Do you cast judgment on your neighbor for, you know, the company they keep or how they keep their lawn or anything like that? Do you take delight in honoring your neighbor? Honor is such a, a huge thing. Many times we forget about honor even when it comes to our family. We totally overlook it. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 13 and 57, he says, And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown among his own family. Many times we show tremendous respect to our coworkers. Many times we show tremendous honor and appreciation to our uh, coworkers or, or friends or people outside of our house. But when we get home, do we show that same honor even to our children or our spouses? I want to share a story with you all. Uh, Jared and some others may know this story very well. You know, my father is an actor, so I've, 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 I've never been you know, caught up in the whole, you know, uh, the, the whole fan thing. I'm, I've never been a big, you know, I've not been into celebrities and wild and all about that because I've been around them a lot. And so uh, there was one sister that I had a chance to go roller skating with. Y'all may know her. I'm, I, I don't know. Some of y'all may know her. Um, she did this song called Bootylicious, uh, Beyonce. That's her. And I had the, my, my, my cousin is a trumpet player in her band. And they came to Atlanta, and my cousin came out to hang out with me at my house. And she said, she got a text message. She said, hey, Beyonce is taking the entire uh, 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 crew to Cascade Roller Rink or whatever. Do you want to come? And so I look at my wife, and my first thought was like, you better not say no. Don't say no. This could be ugly. And, of course, my wife, being as wonderful and perfect as she is, she granted me the opportunity to go roller skating and hang out with my cousin uh, and the, the crew that plays with Beyonce. And we get to the roller rink, and, and, and I'm looking, and I don't see it. And all of a sudden, I see this girl just on, you know, going around, and she's doing the little thing, and she's doing all of this, and she's just making it work. And I was like, wow, that's Beyonce. Whoa, she is fine in real life, no makeup or nothing. So she takes roller skates off, and there's some kids there, and they're teaching her how to do uh, um, the Superman. It was, that was a dance popular at that time. Uh, the Superman, I guess it was by it was Soldier Boy. And so the kids are teaching her how to do that, and so she's barefoot. I mean, she's like being herself, and she's doing the Superman and all that. I don't know the move, so don't laugh at me. And she's doing it. So somebody had the great idea, let's do um, Limbo. So we didn't have a limbo stick, and so uh, we, we grabbed the extension cord. This was a real ghetto affair, by the way, okay? And so we had the extension cord, and we're doing limbo, you know, how low can you go? And so I'm going, and so here's my moment. Y'all ready? I go. It's my turn. 
I've already went. Beyonce is about five people ahead of me. She made it through. So I'm behind her. I go. And I make it through. She's like, go, go. And I'm like, yes, he's cheering for me. So I really, so I just start shaking it. <laughs> huh? I was showing. How low can you go? And I was going low. And I was going, I was, I felt that I could do it because Beyonce was cheering for me. And in the end, after all the festivities, she shook my hand and, and, and said, it was really good to meet you. You were so fun. And oh, MG. I said, I'm not going to wash this hand ever again. This is the Beyonce hand. I'm not going to listen. When I play drums, I'm going to play with one hand from now on because this is now the Beyonce hand. I gave her all that attention and all that honor and appreciation, and, and it dawned on me, do I celebrate my wife in the same way? Do I just walk home sometime and say, honey, after we embrace, I'm never going to wash this shirt again. Why? Because your scent is on it, and I honor you. Do I do that same thing, the same attention and excitement I have for Beyonce, who never, ever texts me afterward, and she's not tweeted me or anything. I've clicked some of her tweets that I've liked them, and I'll never see her again. She probably don't even remember me. But my wife, who's in my house, whom I see every day, who makes my meals, who allows me to put my head in her lap when I'm a little bit distraught, when I, when I need encouragement, do I show her that same type of honor? Am I that braggadocious about her as I was about meeting Beyonce? Who doesn't know me from a fly on the wall? We just had an encounter. Many of you are sitting quiet because you're like, wait a minute. I'm guilty of that. I know people right here in my life live in my same house that I don't even show that same honor to. That are worthy, people that I know that are worthy of that honor. Honor is a high thing. Here it is. Jesus was, you know, he's a great man. He's, he's like the Messiah. His own family was like, get out of here with that mess. Got him to the point they were going to push him off the cliff. His own family didn't show him honor. The great Messiah. And we're just like those people back in Jesus' hometown when we do that to those people that are closest to us. We don't honor them. We're pushing them out. I forgot I didn't even see you back there, honey. Hey, my wife is in the building. There she is right there. I'm sorry, honey. I didn't even. Hi. That's a true story, isn't it? See, I didn't make it up. We need to show honor. We do that to our kids, some of us. I'm guilty of it sometimes. My kids are outstanding, phenomenal. My oldest son is very intelligent, creative. He's like really unique in everything he does. But then I make Bad comparisons to my nephew who's outstanding. He's a scholar. He's an athlete. He's mature, far more mature. And I'm like, man, why can't you be like him? Instead of doing that, I've learned that I've got to honor my son and say, man, what you do, you're the very best at what you do. I honor you, my son. Keep doing you because God made you unique and wonderful. And so today I honor you. We have to get past our past. Many of us grew up in houses where our parents did not honor us. We grew up in houses where our parents didn't honor each other. You know, there was a time back in the day where the household was, dad was out at work all day just providing. So we never saw him. He didn't make graduation. He didn't make uh, events. He didn't make award ceremonies because he was a provider. That was the role of the man 35, 50, 60 years ago. 
be a provider. Mom, most of the time, stayed home and took care of the house, and that was okay. But times have changed. And so a lot of us allowed those years of how our parents grew up to transfer into our current lifestyle. And I'm trying to tell you, we cannot do that. Now, some of y'all are looking like, I'm not married, I don't have kids, but you will. And so I want to stop you before you get to that point. Forget about how you were raised, how your mama and daddy were raised. Forget about all of that. Hold on to some of that tradition, but start with everything with honor so that your kids don't sit and listen to somebody's sermon just like this saying, you know why your relationships are kind of jacked up? It started in your family. You didn't see mom and dad hug. My wife and I are intentional about letting our children see us hug. We, we cut the line. We don't want, you know, we get to the, we go far enough so they can say ill. When they say ill, it's like, okay, that's the line. We go to the ill, like, ill, all right, that's the line. But they love it. They love seeing us affectionate. And you know what happens when we have a disagreement? Not an argument, just a disagreement. There's tension. There's tension. They make us hug. When they, we have a disagreement, when we're not in agree, on, the, on one accord, they're like, Daddy, you should go hug Mommy. Junior, you should go smack Mommy on the booty. This is what they see. It's, it's affection. He knows not to do it, though. Yeah, so, ew. <laughs> hey, I'm teaching my kids that it's okay to be in love and show your, your... This is what I'm saying. I didn't see that growing up. I didn't see a lot of that. I didn't. My wife didn't. So we're like, we want to change that, that whole thought for our kids, that it's okay. I tell my kids every day I love you. I didn't hear that growing up from my parents a lot. I heard it from my dad, but I didn't live with my dad. So I would hear it when I would see him or we'd have a phone conversation. I grew up with my mom sometimes, and, and I, I didn't hear it all the time. It was awkward for us to show affection. Why? Because no one showed her affection. No one showed my grandmother affection. And if I go all the way down the line, eventually I'll get to where it all got jacked up. And so our relationships started from our current relationships, how we treat others, even in our marriage and in our family, started from how we were raised. This is why we're starting here with this series, The Modern Family. Matthew 15, 8 says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I tell, you know, I, I, I coach married couples, my wife and I do. And I tell men all often, and my wife was a witness, she'll tell you, don't do, the, don't do this because that, that's not honoring your wife. Don't, don't, okay, dear. Yes, dear. Don't do that because it's not sincere. All you're trying to do is stop the conversation. You're trying to prevent an argument or disagreement. And so you, yes, dear. You're right, dear. And that's the worst answer. And this is what Jesus is saying. You honor me with your lips. I'm sorry. But do you really mean it? Are you really apologetic for, your, for what happened? Do you really hear my side? Can you really hear what I'm trying to say? You honor me with your mouth. I'm sorry. Yes, that's honor. You, you, you're saying you apologize, but is it sincere or is it manipulative? Let's get to the root of it. You honor me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. 1 Corinthians 12, 23 says this. I love what Paul says, and this is going to make some sense for many of us. And the parts 
we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. What Paul is saying is giving you an opposite. What he's saying to these people is that we always, we hold high prestige to anything that's going right in life. We hold high prestige to the good stuff in life. We, 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 Christians, it happens even in the church. Oh, you're so holy. You got your stuff together. Hallelujah. Praise you. You got it going on, baby. But let the sinner come in here that you know is a sinner. And many times we look at them with the face. Because of Nikki, last night I tuned into Ian Levansant. You were going in, and it just made me curious. And uh, I thought about this as I was coming, as I was working on this. I actually changed a bit of my message after watching that because many of us are mean Christians, huh? Many of us are mean Christians. I see your sin before I see the person. I judge your sin before I I judge your heart. When we shouldn't judge anything in the first place, we should love you and embrace you. It was the mean Christian that prevented me from even going to church for a long time. I was having this conversation with a neighbor just yesterday, as a matter of fact, about my story and why I didn't believe in this thing called the church or Christianity. Because I I would often see, uh, I would go to church for all the wrong reasons in the first place. And when I'd go, I didn't have on a suit. I had on whatever was cool. I had two earrings on it with like the sermon was all about me and he didn't even know me. It was always about how the young people are acting. And it's like, well, I'm a young person. Are you talking to me, sir? It was always judgmental. I would always hear so much stuff about Scripture this, Scripture that, and then I'd go outside and they're smoking their cigarettes. I would always hear so, so much Scripture about how we should live our lives, but everybody I knew who was a Christian totally didn't live that life. Mean Christians. And many of us are pushing people outside of the family of God because we're mean Christians. I tuned into that, Nikki, and I says, wow. And, the, and if you didn't watch it, I'm sure, it, you know, it, it'll be on TV again, or you can uh, 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 on-demand it. Um, and Yana Van Sant, she was talking to the Pace Sisters. Now, if you have any familiarity with gospel music, they are like, the, <laughs> they're up here. And you, th- you think, oh, the way they sing, they got Jesus in their lives. And it's like, no, they just have good voices, but they got some mess going on in their lives. They have some real struggles. And many of them, because of how they were raised in their family, were mean Christians because they thought that's what you're supposed to do. We have to honor. That's the first quality we have to have. We have to honor each other. We have to honor each other. There are so many parts that we present, but we need to focus on those parts that are not perfect. Spend more time with those. First Corinthians twelve twenty three, as I said, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should be seen. Watch this. I love the message version of that. If you would permit me, I'll read it to you real fast. It's so plain English. This is Paul in the message version. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. Woo! Stop right there. No matter how significant you are, you are only significant because of what you are part of. He's speaking of the body of Christ. Let me go on. 
An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or the head telling the foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works with the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? What that's saying in essence Regardless, and, and, and it ties right into the mission of this church. Reach people where they are, how they are, regardless, regardless of who they are. I keep telling y'all who the mascot of this church, the public figure and face of this church should be. That brother that has a tattoos all up in his face and, 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 and the piercings and he's got fangs. I want that brother because people are going to look at him and say he can't possibly be a Christian because he looks like the devil, but his heart could be tattooed with Jesus all day long. I want to get us to a spot where we're not looking at the outside. We're not looking at the, the, the visible stuff. We're trying to look at the heart of people. Reach people where they are, how they are, regardless of who they are. We are all the same. I was telling a sister that stopped by the booth yesterday, and we'll move on. She's asking, what is your mission? And I'm stressing to the sister what our mission is. She said, but what is your belief system? And it was such a, a basic elementary question, I totally missed it. She says, my question to you, young man, is do you believe in Jesus? And I says, well, ma'am, we wouldn't be called a church otherwise. No, there are churches that don't believe. And I says, they're not churches, they're cults. We are a church that believes in Christ. We believe that He is the Son of God. He died, rose on the third day for you and I. We believe in Jesus Christ. But most importantly, we believe that, that, that everybody is entitled to the same love and compassion that Jesus Christ offers. Everybody. Every single person. You can throw a name out and I'd say yes. Any, everybody is entitled to it. I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. And so often we've denied people that opportunity to even fall into this relationship with Christ because of that. You know what the number one, the first step is to honor? Can I tell you what the first step is, in my opinion, to honor? The very first step to honor is acceptance. The very first step in to, 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 to honor is acceptance. It's not acceptance of behavior but it's acceptance of people. Jesus was so great at that. He accepted all people. If you don't believe me, read the New Testament. Just read the Synoptic Gospels, the four Gospels, and they'll tell you right away. He loved people. He may have disagreed with their behavior, but he loved people. And that's all that is required of us as Christians. Forget about all the religious doctrinal stuff. Forget about all the traditional stuff. All that is required of, is of, of us is to accept and love. 
Love, 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 love. People, it's that simple. Love. It's not hard. Love. Just love. You don't have to even quiz me about my doctrinal beliefs. You don't even have to quiz me about how many scriptures I know. I know love. And love is Jesus. That's enough. We don't have to debate that. That's factual. And everybody's entitled to it. I don't care what your story is. You want to hear mine? (laughs) All of us have one. Acceptance is the first step toward honor. Accept the people. You don't have to agree with their behavior. Accept all people. Second thing I want to move on to. Let's get it going. Let's get it going. Second thing is communication. The first thing, uh, the first quality you must have in winning the relationship game is, 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 is honor. The second thing is communication. Let me, let me break this down. Communication. Communication, effective communication is one of the most important qualities in a relationship. But I also want to offer it is the most difficult. Effective communication is one of the most important qualities in any relationship, any. Marriage, friendship, boss, <laughs> parenting, all of it. I didn't say communication. I said effective. That's, that's the important part. I think we all bump our gums. I think we all talk. That's communication. But effective, meaning that you're getting the point across. It's making sense. It's sticking. It's the most important, but it's the most difficult. It's the most difficult. Marriages fall apart because of communication. People will say the number one cause of divorce in America is finances and sex, right? And if you, if, if you really look at what's hiding in the middle, communication. We didn't talk about budget. We didn't communicate about the spending. There's an issue. If we look at the sex part, there's lack of. We didn't talk about my needs and your needs. We could, even, we could have even scheduled time to be intimate. Oh, I'm not going to schedule. Why not? If your marriage matters, you'll do every doggone thing you can to save it. The main contributor is communication, right between those two. So if the statistics say the number uh, two reasons why people get divorced is finances and sex, communication is right there in the middle. It's the umbrella thing that, that, that is the overarching uh, part of it. Amen? Amen. Hey, what's going on? Hmm? It's going to be tough. If y'all laughing now, when we get into the sex part of the series, y'all going to be just cutting up. Okay, let's get, let's get it going. Two important goals of effective communication. If you're taking notes, here you go. Two important goals of effective communication. The very first one is honesty. Honesty. That's an important goal of effective communication. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 and 15, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Honesty. Being honest, telling telling the truth about stuff, not lying about it, not hiding about it, but do it with love. Some of (laughs) y'all, 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 y'all take this scripture and get to be ready to tell people the truth about, girl, you know, you shouldn't have wore that today. You look a hot mess. (laughs) Pastor, you need to bring it back a little bit talking about sex and cussing and stuff. For our visitors, yes, I do say a few choice words. Forgive us. I won't say any today, thank God. Unless I'm moved by the wrong spirit. 
<laughs> but really, honesty with love. One of the things I love about this scripture, you know what it reminds me of? Jesus speaking with the woman at the well, right? He sees this woman at the well. She's thirsty. You know, he's thirsty. She's getting water. Jesus is like real cool about it. Hey, you know, pour me a glass of that, please. Hook me up. She pours him some, and then he tells her, you know, I got some water that you'll never thirst and this and that. And she's like, oh, so you, you know, and he tells her her business like, yeah, so uh, you, got, you got several husbands, and the one you with now, he ain't even yours. He calls her out, but he does it in love. He's like, you know, but I love you. But let's speak the truth here. And you could tell it was out of love because she was like, who you think you are? You, you don't even know me like that. She didn't go off on him. She was just like, she received it. As a matter of fact, she got excited like, you must be the Messiah. Let me tell everybody about you have to be. There's no way in the world you would have known all my business and then called me out on it, and I feel okay about it. The thing is, that's how we should be with our friends and our families. Instead of pointing a finger, la, 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 la. Or the person outside who's not a part of a church, instead of pointing our finger, we should embrace them with love. Not even mention their sin. That's just, that just doesn't make any sense. Why we, we start a conversation about somebody's sin. We all have them. Somebody sinned. I sinned before I came in here. I'm, 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 I don't know what it was. I just know I did it. I'm confident of it. I probably judged somebody. I caught a tood, which is an attitude. I probably did something that, that wasn't right by God. We all do. And what if we started the conversation, Pastor? I want to tell you about your sin. Right off the rip, I'm looking at you like, I will punch you in your face. You don't know me like that. Don't be come telling me about how I do my stuff. I don't do that to you. Really, we need to approach people with love, man. Everything has to start with love. That's how Jesus was. That, that story of the woman at the well, I love it. It just has so many uh, 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 sidebar uh, stories in there that just make so much sense. He met her with love. He called her out. He's like, yeah, you, you messing around but I love you, and I still want to give you something. She was so excited about that. So, number one, we must, uh, you know, two to important goals of uh, effective communication. Number one is honesty. The second one is clarity. This is where we really drop the ball. Many of us really drop the ball here. Clarity. What we communicate and how we communicate. Clarity is not just the information, but it's the tone. It's how we communicate. It's the tone and how we communicate it. We communicate with words, with actions, and attitude. It's what we do and don't do. It's clarity. Y'all remember the story, for those who were here these past few weeks, where I shared where I caught an attitude with this sister. I, like, kind of chased her down on Georgia Tech's campus. Y'all remember that? So here's the part I want to I I remind y'all about, not the part where I messed up and was a jackbutt, but, but effective communication. The sister was coming in. I was letting her in. She was trying to merge in. So I honked the horn to let her in for our visitors who, who don't know this story. I was on uh, 85, and I was trying to let her sister cut in. She was entering 85, and I didn't do the wave. I just honk, honk, come on over. And she flipped me the bird as if I was blowing a horn because I was mad. I didn't effectively communicate what the horn meant. The horn meant, come on over. She thought the horn meant, you jack off. Why would you dare do that to me? And so I got upset, and I followed her down. And then it dawned on me, you are a brother. 
chasing a young little white girl onto this campus. You going to jail. And I was like, er. I, was, I was actually going to the store. I, I wasn't chasing you. We going the same way. I'm a student. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't know. But the bottom line is effective communication. And that happens all the time. Sometimes you're waving somebody in. Come on in. You can cut in front of me. And if you do, sometimes that wave, if it's not interpreted right, it's like, they're like, man, you know, like, well, why are you being all mean about it? I'm just, I'm trying to get in. And, you know, and that wave could mean like, why are you trying to cut in my space? You see me coming. But the wave was like, no, come, 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 brother. Come, sister. Hallelujah. <laughs> Effective communication. How many of y'all have smartphones? Everybody in here should have a smartphone. I don't even think they make dumb phones anymore. Okay, good. So when you are texting, right, there's this thing called um, auto-correct. How many love that? Never. I hate it. Can I read to y'all a couple bad examples? I found this. They're like websites. Oh, my goodness. It was crazy. Me and my wife spent like three hours just laughing at some of these bad auto text fails. I mean, it's raunchy. But all of them are nasty and cussing. You know, anytime. Why does the computer automatically think it's, you're trying to put a bad word in place? That's just cr- No, not because you are, sir. <laughs> Anyway, check out this one. This is very simple. I tried to find clean ones. It took me three days to find clean ones, by the way. It's that bad. If you get a chance, Google autocorrect fails, and you'll, you'll have a great laugh. Okay? Here we go. First one I want to share with you is a conversation a friend was having with his friend. He says to his friend, my, grandma, my grandpa is in the hospital. I hope he gets better. Sad face. The friend responds, I hope he dies. Happy face. The friend responds back, why, in all caps, and y'all know what all caps, that means you're yelling, right? Why do you want my grandpa to die? And then you smiled about it, exclamation point. Are you some evil villain? The friend responds back, I meant does. I meant does. I hope he does get better. Auto correct fail. Second one I want to share with you. This one is, this one <laughs> had my wife and I cracking up. The funnier ones, I got to be honest, are the ones that use bad language. I don't know why they're funnier. It's just... It's <laughs> the stuff they say, and a lot of times this conversation between their mom and, and, and kid is funny. Anyway, here's the second one I want to share with you. The mom and a son conversation. Mom says, hi, Tony, it's mom. I'm going to your house to take my life tonight. Love you. Tony responds, what the, he wanted to say what the hell, excuse my language. There's, that's one bad word, okay? He said, he wanted to say what the hell, but autocorrect corrected him and put what the heel, like heel, he will. What the hell are you talking about, Mom? Are you okay? All of these question marks. Then Tony comes back, calling you. Pick up the phone. Mom comes back. I'm coming to take my light, the light I let you borrow in February, not my life. Wow, okay. Funny thing is, our conversations in life are like that in communication. We think, we, we think we're effectively communicating. What I was trying to say is, this, this is what I'm really trying to tell you, and, and, it's, and it just goes over the head. There's four important things to communicate with clarity. I'm about to help you all communicate better today, and this is free. I normally charge for these type of sessions, but this one is free today, okay? Four important things you need to work on when you're trying to uh, communicate with clarity. Number one, expectations. Expectations. So when you're having a conversation and you're trying to get your point across, the, here, here's the expectation I'm trying to get across to you. I expect, you know, and you don't have to start with, here's what I, want, what I want to tell you, and I expect you to do it. That's not it. 
having already in your mind what you are trying to say, what are you trying to accomplish with this communication between this dialogue? What are you trying to accomplish? What is your expectation in this? The second thing would be agreements. Agreements. And that simply means, uh, for instance, here's what I expect to happen. And in that, between this, this, between this dialogue between you and I, we agreed upon something. We agreed that either I was wrong, you were right. We agreed that it was a, a, a senseless argument. We agreed that, man, we should do that. That made sense. The agreements need to be communicated with clarity. So that, so that, you know, like my wife and I have those discussions and then she'll bring back stuff from three years ago. Remember back in 2010 when you said, and I was like, ah, I get it now. I, 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 I was in breach of the original agreement. So we have to do that with clarity. The third thing is their value. That's the love part. We have to communicate with clarity their value, the person's value. When you communicate, always honor them. Listen, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm coming from my heart. I love you. You are so incredible. Now let's talk. I've, I've got them to a point where they're comfortable. They're, 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 they're receptive. They're not combative. They're relaxed. We can have a conversation. Why? Because I, first of all, communicated with clarity their value. And in communicating their value, you're also communicating how important it is that their point is heard. You're also communicating it's important. What, what is your take on this? And if you have to, like me, because I have a poor memory, I actually take notes in my wife and I's conversation. Literally, I'll sit there and be like, hold on, hold on, hold on, say that again, honey. For two reasons. One, I want to make sure I get it right. Two, so she can't come back later on and say I didn't get it. Because I wrote it down. I got it. You can't come back and say, you, I said it, and you, no, nope, I wrote it down. I got the proof right here. Right here. The fourth thing you want to communicate, your feelings. Your feelings are very important. So four important things to communicate with clarity, expectations, agreements, their value, your feelings. Here's how I feel about the matter. I don't think it's the best thing for us to do to invest in this right now. Here's why. Because or whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. But you have to express your feelings. Now, that doesn't mean like, you know, don't go in there. It's all about you. It's not all about you. If it's all about you, then you've totally went past the their value part. You've totally went beyond honor when it's all about you. But you are entitled to express your feelings about whatever the conversation is about. Amen? Nelson Mandela, who's one of my heroes in life, I, I, I just really love this man. Here's a quote from him that I love, and you could, you could take this as well. It says, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. Are you familiar with the five love languages? Any of you familiar with that book, The Five Love Languages? Incredible book. That saved my marriage. It saved other marriages. When I coach married couples, that's the first thing I say, have you read The Five Love Languages? They say, no. I'm like, here, get it. I have the disc. I have the book. You need it. Here's what that book tells us, is that we all speak a love language. 
We all have our own love language, okay? There are five different love languages, and we all have them. And when you learn what your spouse's or your boyfriend or your boss's or your children or your coworkers' love language is, it helps you to communicate effectively with them. And it speaks not to their head, but to their heart. In other words, my love language is, is, is words of affection. I love words of affection. I tell my wife all the time, we can, we can, we, you listen, we don't have to touch, but if, if you just boost my ego, like when I come home and my kids run to me, daddy or Brooke gives me a kiss and said, daddy, you're the best. Oh, goodness, Lord. I can't recover from that. It feels so good. Well, my wife says, you know what? You are such a great husband. Nobody, nobody does that like you do. You're phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me eager to do something else because I want that again. My wife's love language is, is, is um, acts of service. Do something. So here it is. My wife, who, who, who works uh, part-time and she's at home, homeschooling and cleaning and stuff, when I bust the suds and load the dishwasher, oh, it's a good night in the Santiago household. Somebody can say amen. If I put the kids in the bath, and get them to bed on time, oh, it's a party, adult party. Huh? If it's, it's acts of service, that's her love language. And when I do those things for her, if I cut the grass before she asked me to, oh, 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 oh boy, Ooh, I cut the grass, load the dishwasher, put the kids to bed, man, that's like winning that $600 million out there. Oh, y'all know about it. Some of y'all ain't cheering. It's like, no, no, that's kind of million dollars is different. That's temporary. But the love of my wife, the smile from my wife, that's forever. Till death do us part. Somebody can say amen to that. Funny thing is men and women communicate differently. I've learned that. Uh, I've learned this for many women. Like I said, we coach married couples. I've learned this for many. Like, I hear this a lot. I had this conversation with a sister in this room about communicating with your, your, your mate, your spouse. Okay. Hinting for a lot of women is considered a primary form of communication. And I want to kill that myth. You cannot hint. You, you hint. You, you throw these little hints like, for instance, uh, this is not my wife, but it's a story from somebody. A woman's going through something. And she's like, uh, I'm just going to go on home and just kind of spend some time myself. I don't really want any company. She says this to her boyfriend, okay? And the boyfriend's like, okay. When really what she's saying is, I want you to come over and console me. I've had a bad day. But when you say you don't want me to come over, I'm like, cool. I'm going to play the game. I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to do what I want to do because you hinted I didn't get it. And I hear these from, couple, from, from married couples and people in relationships all the time. All the time. Sticking your hand out like this. You know, we're walking together and you're sticking your hand out like this. That, I don't know if you're just stretching or something. I don't know if you want me to hold your hand. Just tell me or grab my hand. We're walking together and you go, I'm like, what's wrong? You stretching? I'm stretch too. I don't know. Don't hint. Communicate effectively. You look at people making faces because y'all know y'all talk like that. Y'all hit all the doggone time and then blame the man. How could he not get that I was trying to tell him? Back in the day, you know, the first kiss thing, 
you know, that's always the challenge, you know. <laughs> you go on a date, and, and, you know, the brother, we just go for it. But sisters, you want the brother to kiss you, but a gentleman is, like, not going to do it unless he's invited to, you know, kiss you after the first date. And so we'll stand there, and we'll wait, and we're standing at the door. Y'all talking for, like, 30 minutes, and you're like, well, good, well, I'll see you. I, you know, it was a really good time. I can't wait to do this with you again. You, you're so awesome. I really enjoyed it. And the woman's standing like, cool, yeah, standing at the door. We don't know that that's a hint for us to, you know, come on in for the, the, the finisher. We don't know that. Tell us. Just say, hey, you want to kiss or just grab my face and pucker up and let's just make it happen. Hinting. Y'all know y'all do that. That's why y'all not, like, clapping. Anyway. <laughs> Third thing, and we're done right here. This is, this is the last point I want to get across. So the first thing is, it's honor. Second thing is communication. Here's the final thing. This is really deep, and I'm going to actually use a prop to help me out here. We have to, uh, it's inner circle navigation. The third thing is inner circle navigation. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Inner I-N-N-E-R, circle navigation. What does that mean? I'm going to show you what that means here. Something is wrong with this board, so I'm going to try to put it up on this table and pray that it doesn't fall. If it does, pretend y'all didn't hear it, okay? All right. I think that'll work, something like that. Okay, that'll stay. All right. So, inner circle navigation. Let me break this down to you. Jesus loved 5,000, okay, if we read the Bible. He worked with about 70 people. He trained or discipled 12, but he was very close to only three. So he loved 5,000 people in, that, in his little crew, right? He, he worked with 70. He spent time training 12, but he was very close, very intimate with only three. And the three were Peter, James, and John. Our lives are the same thing. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And this is how we, oh, let me fix that because I know they can't see. This center one, that right there, that's you. Okay? That's that. And that. 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 And I know this is not a bullseye, but that's just you. Okay? So this will be you. That's your inner circle. If this was Jesus, that would be the three, okay? That's you. If this was Jesus, that would be the 12, okay? That's you. This was Jesus, that would be the 70, and that would be the 5,000. Navigating your inner circle. What happens with many of us, and I'm not an artist, so don't judge me, okay? I will judge you back. I can find some stuff about you. Okay, many of us, let some of these people, and these people that we love are people that many times we just meet, boyfriends, girlfriends, coworkers, friends. We, these people from here, we take them right here and put them right here. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. Because what happens is we bring them right here. Oh, I love you. Oh, we cool. We got a few things in common. Cool. Yeah, I want to bring you here. And the truth is they are not assigned or not called by Jesus to be that close to you. They are not assigned or called to be that close to you. Other times, many of us take these people that are closest to us that we should be spending, investing time, resources into, and we kind of push them somewhere out here. 
to where we just work with them. They're casual friends. We see them every now and again. They're not our best friends. We're not pouring life into them when we should be, the closest people. Same thing here. You have to effectively navigate the inner circle of your relationships. And I'm going to tell you what this all means right here. This circle right here is typically people that you have something in common with. We work together. Uh, I know you. We go to school together. We go to church together. That's the 5,000. They just have some things in common. This group right here, you work together uh, that Jesus, he works with. This group of people, you have something in common. You have a goal in common. You actually spend some time together. Could be people that are uh, uh, in, in, in a larger group setting could be people that you see, you know, weekly or something. Could be even, you know, church-related. Uh, not, not a small group. Not a small group. This group would represent a small group if you're a part of a small group setting. Okay? This would mean if you're part of a men's group, a women's group, a married couple, small group, or whatever the case may be. That would be this, people. We're in this together. We spend quality time together. We're pouring, we're doing life together. I'm pouring into you. You're pouring into me. We're accountable to one another. We're learning together. That would be a small group setting. These people are people that got your back no matter what. They love the smell of your funk. They love the smell of your breath at the top of the morning. They got your back. These are people you can call in the middle of the night. They'll actually wake up, have a conversation with you, pray for you, figure out a solution for you. These people, no matter what time, where you're at, what the concern is, they have your back. And there shouldn't be a whole bunch of people in that circle. Because those people, you should do the same exact thing for them. You have their back. If they call you at 3 o'clock, you're going to get up in the morning. You're going to pray. You're going to actually get yourself dressed and try to get over there to resolve the issue. If they're out of town, you get up in your car and you're going to drive to get to them because they're this close to you. Y'all are doing life together like nobody's business. What we need to learn is how to effectively navigate this circle. Stop inviting the 5,000 into this inner circle of the three. It will save you a bunch of heartache. How do you know who belongs here? Let me give you these points and we're done. How they, who, who's invited into this inner circle? This is how you can tell. How the person lives their life, what their belief and values are, and if they're pouring into you. Chances are, the 5,000, they're going to be pulling a whole lot from you. Well, actually, not the 5,000. The 70 will be pulling from you. 70 typically are drainers. The 70 are drainers. The 12, they're pouring into you, but not as much. They probably won't get up at 3 o'clock. They'll call you in the morning when the alarm goes off to check on you. The 3, they got your back. The 5,000, you just know them. Y'all have something in common. How do you know who should be in that inner circle? Their lifestyle their values, and are they pouring into you? Because these are the people you'll do life with together. Amen? 
Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.